At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? Well, let me ask you a good question. How did you get into the vocation or the career that, that you have? Whatever that might be, what, what was it that, that it interested you or excited you or, or maybe called to you or, or maybe just happened to be the thing that like, that's, I got to do that. What was it that brought you to, about, brought you to apply for that job, uh, to, to invest yourself into that industry or to be a part of that career and that community? What was it that, that got you there? I'm going to be a little autobiographical with you this morning uh, and talk about and answer some of those questions about myself for you. Uh, this passage is talking about pastors, and so I, I want to just kind of maybe open up my life a little bit more for you this morning, and I'll let you know what's going on with me and where we're at as a church and uh, where I'm at as a pastor. I, I want to talk about being a pastor particularly because of our current climate uh, in culture and in the church. Uh, let me just share a couple things with you. Last summer, Barna Research Group released a study that they had uh, done in the last in 2021 and 2022. They looked at pastoral burnout over the course of uh, three years. So really, since the beginning of the pandemic until late last year, they did this study. And, and here's what they found. They asked pastors a specific question. The question was, have you given real, serious consideration to quitting being in full-time ministry within the last year? Have you given real, serious consideration to quitting being in full-time ministry within the last year? 42% of pastors that were surveyed said yes. 42%. Which, that's high. But consider this. That number jumped 13% from 2021 to 2022. It was at 29%. It's now at 42%. Uh, I don't know where it's going to be at for this year, but it's high. Uh, when they asked pastors, why is that the case? Why are you considering stepping out of full-time ministry altogether? Uh, five the top five answers were this. First of all, the immense stress of the job. Pastors are feeling it. They're feeling it. Uh, secondly, they said it's because we feel isolated and lonely. Uh, we're on our own in this. We're in a glass house, as it were, and there doesn't seem to be much support. Uh, the current political uh, divisions and cultural situations that have happened in the last three years. That was another thing that was named, the third reason that was named for pastors uh, leaving the ministry and stepping down. Uh, fourthly, unhappiness with how the role of being a pastor was affecting his family as a whole uh, and, and uh, dealing with the family issues that were a result of being a pastor. Fifthly, lack of optimism about the future of their church was a reason that pastors were stepping down from the ministry. Now, when you couple that, you couple the burnout rate of pastors with the deep distrust that happens in our society right now towards pastors, and I mentioned this stat a few weeks ago, that only 34% of the American population views pastors as ethical. Only 34% view us as, as ethical leaders. You can begin to see why anyone would want this job. We're highly distrusted, and we're burned out and stressed. It's a rough go. So let me ask, answer the question for you, why am I a pastor? 
Why am I here? Why do I seek to lead and shepherd and preach the word of God week after week to, to you, this congregation, as I've been doing so for the last eight years and as a pastor in ministry for now uh, 22 years of my life? Why do, I, why do I put up with it? Why do I do it? Uh, there's probably two reasons I'll give you for, for why I'm here and why I do this. First of all, I'll say it's my calling. Or, or that is to say, there's not anything else that I that I really can do. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have talents or skills or abilities that I couldn't go and be uh, find a job in a, in a marketplace environment or something else. When I say calling, I, I'm saying that I'm constrained to this. Like, there's, there's nothing else that would give me true fulfillment and satisfaction in, in terms of vocation other than being a pastor. The Lord has called me to being a pastor, and, and I'm not going to be me if, unless I'm able to lead and serve the church well. That wasn't always the case in my life. When I was a freshman at Moody Bible Institute, I went in thinking that I was going to be headed for a life of overseas ministry, global missions. I was going to do that. And so I enrolled in the missions program. I thought I would be sent to Europe or Asia somewhere. But it was in the winter of 1998, February 5th. I remember the date clearly, February 5th of 1998. I was at Moody Church. It was Moody's uh, annual Founders Week conference. And a pastor from Philadelphia, a man by the name of Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, uh, was flown in to preach that, uh, that winter evening. And he preached from Romans 11, 33 to 36, and, and opened the word of God and just proclaimed uh, the glory of God to, to the conference there that evening. Now, I didn't hear an audible voice from God, but, but during that message, there was just this weighty impression, I believe, from the Holy Spirit on me saying, Jeremy, that's, that's what I want you to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Glorify me by preaching the Bible to the church. And, and so I, I, I heard that. I sensed that. I remember walking back to my dorm with a friend and saying to my friend, I think, I think God wants me to be, to be a pastor. I think I'm called to preach. So I began to discern and test that calling with some friends and uh, professors at Moody and other pastors in my life and family and asking them, is that true? Do you sense that calling for me? Does that seem to be maybe a direction that the Lord is heading me into? And, And they all agreed and affirmed and said, yes, we believe that's the case. And when I went to change my major from missions to pastoral studies, the, uh, the head of the missions department, who I had to sign off on the, on the transfer, uh, she looked at me and she said, I wondered how long it would take you to figure this out. <laughs> I, I admit, I'm not very quick on things uh, a lot of times. So I went into pastoral studies and I graduated. And after uh, four years at Moody, I, I've been in pastoral ministry as a vocation full-time ever since. 2001 is when I started. 2003, I was licensed to ministry. I was ordained in 2012, and further that ordination was further confirmed and validated this last summer in 2022. But it's more than just the calling of God on my life that, that has me in the role as a pastor. It's the examples that I've seen of faithful men that have pastored the church. Uh, for one, Pastor Chris Bauer, who's a senior pastor, was a senior pastor of Santa Rosa Bible Church, He's a faithful man who I got to watch up close lead the church and saw him disciple and mentor me in ministry as I served in Santa Rosa Bible Church for eight years. And he has served that church for well over 25 years faithfully. His example is a testimony to me of faithful, long perseverance 
and faithfulness in ministry. I praise God for Pastor Chris. Here at Woodside, Pastor Doug Schmidt, uh, who maybe you know have heard of, he faithfully served Woodside for over 25 years as the senior pastor uh, as well. He's gone the distance well in faithful ministry, and he stands out as a positive example to me of the kind of godly, faithful shepherds that the church should have. And, and I look at those men and others like Dr. Boyce, and Dr. John Piper, other mentors in the faith and ministry, whether up close or from a distance, that have served well, and they've set an example. I see their lives, and I see their ministries, and I go, that's I want to emulate that. I want to follow them as they follow Jesus. I want to, I want to serve the church well uh, in that way. I've seen the fruit of their lives, and I've been inspired and encouraged in that. But I've also seen the bad examples. I've seen the pastors who have not lived faithfully, that haven't served well. I've seen even up close and, and felt the wreckage firsthand that their unfaithfulness can cause in the church. I've seen pastors be disqualified from ministry for plagiarism and alcoholism and embezzlement and narcissism and pride and adultery and a whole host of other sins. One of the things I can tell you from, from experiencing being in the church most of my life and, and seeing pastors up front and close and the good examples and the bad, I can tell you that one thing that's really good is that godly pastors are a gift to the church. I don't speak that to say that of myself, but I speak that to say when a church has a godly pastor or elders leading the church, they got a good thing. They got a good gift. And and friends, I'll tell you, I aspire and aim and desire to be a godly pastor to you, to be a blessing and a gift to you and to this church. I want to leave, when we came here to Woodside Bible Church of Plymouth, I said in my heart, I want to leave this church one day a better church than, than where I started with it. I want to be found faithful to the Lord and to glorify Him in everything I do. I want to love you well, and I want to labor to help you mature in Jesus in every way. But I want to tell you, and I want you to know what I think every pastor should already know. And that is, I am only an interim pastor. If you haven't figured it out by now, I won't always be here. Some of you are like, good. <laughs> Maybe not. But I won't always be serving this congregation and this church. There's a date on the calendar, and I don't know when it is. It's not on my calendar right now. I don't know when it is, but there is a date on the calendar, a future date somewhere in the future that will be my last day as the lead campus pastor at Woodside Bible Church in Plymouth. I do joke around and say they'll have to pry my cold, dead hands from this pulpit to get me out of here. But there's a future day when I won't be the lead pastor here. And that's been true of every pastor that's gone on before and every pastor that will come. We are interim pastors under shepherds of Jesus Christ. He is the lead pastor. It's his church. And when he gives godly pastors to a church, he gives good gifts. Now, the Apostle Paul knew that to be true of his ministry to the church at Ephesus. And he knew that to be true, that he was an interim pastor, that Timothy was an interim pastor as a pastor in Ephesus there as well. And so when we come to the text, this letter has been Paul equipping and instructing Timothy in what the church is and and how it is to be organized and how it is to be led well. And and as I've said before, I have to kind of play the ball where it lies as we get to these texts. So so I have to deal with this text this morning in verses 17 through 25 as Paul lays out to Timothy how the church should relate to their pastors. How should the church be equipped to, to, to honor and to to glorify God and to, to relate to the pastors that God gives them and that they call into ministry. 
And so if you would permit me this morning in teaching this passage, I'd like to either position this two ways, one of two ways. Either one, I'd like to pretend that you are Timothy and that I'm the Apostle Paul. And, and so I'm just going to instruct you as if you're Timothy about how you should relate to and think about and uh, deal with pastors in the church. Or the other way is, if you'd rather, I want to equip you and help you relate to your next pastor. I, I want to set up my successor here well. And so I'm just going to talk to you about how you should treat and how you should deal with the pastors that come uh, next. And I want the Holy Spirit's instruction here to direct us as to how we relate to our pastors. How should you relate to your next pastor? A scripture here in these verses gives us three guidelines for the church to help us follow in relating to their pastors. And, and I just want to lay these out so you can think about who's next and how should we as a church family relate to and how should we as individuals relate to them as, as the pastors of the church. So let me give you these three guidelines for us this morning. First of all, the first guideline is that we should support our pastors financially. We should support our pastors financially. Some of you are like, I knew it. I knew he was going to go there and he was going to start there even, right? You know, that's the first point. Let me read the text here, okay? This is God's word. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now focus with me on who Paul is talking to Timothy about. If you're, if you're Timothy and I'm Paul, uh, let, me, let me just tell you who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the elders of the church, and that term elder, it's, it's the term presbyteros in the Greek. It's, it's a term that's used to describe pastors in Acts 11 and 13 and 14 and 20 and other places in the New Testament. It's the term, one of the, the technical terms to describe the office of pastor or elder or overseer. It's all one term. It's overlapping in its meaning, synonymous together, but it's relating to the office of pastor or elder. An elder is an overseer. He is an pastor he is a shepherd it's all the same office and these are the specifically this office of elder or pastor are the specific men who are appointed to lead the church by exercising oversight and teaching or preaching they're the pastors of the church so when Paul talks about these elders who rule he's he's talking about the essential function of an elder to give oversight to spiritually care for and to lead and to exercise authority well over the church and for the church. Now, this isn't to be done in a heavy-handed or dictatorial way, but the, the elder, the pastor, is to lead and to rule as a shepherd, as a pastor. And if you remember back in chapter 3, Paul laid out the character qualifications of a man who was to be an elder, who, a guy who desired to be an elder in the church, and he, and he said that guy has to be one who is above reproach. He has to be a gentle leader. He has to be sober-minded and think clearly. He has to live in such a way that he's respectable. respectable. He, has to, he has to manage his own household well so that he can further manage the church of God. His, his management of the church is an aspect of, of care and leadership for the church. So Paul here says that the elders who are doing their job well, or the pastors that are doing their job well, who are managing and leading the church well, they are worthy of something. That is that there is something owed or due to them. Namely, he says, they're worthy of double honor. 
Now, you might ask the question, well, what does Paul mean when he says double honor? What is he talking about that there? Is that, is that like the, the pastor or elder who does a good job of leading and preaching and teaching? Maybe he should get an extra scoop of ice cream at the next church family feast. I won't say no to that, maybe. If you, if you remember the word that's used here, uh, if you go back to just a little bit earlier in chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows. And then he talks about financially caring for those widows and supplying their need. Uh, the word here is the same word. It's used to describe how the church should care for their pastors, so financially supporting them. In classic Greek literature, the, the word is to, uh, refers to a physician's honorarium or salary. Paul is telling Timothy here that the church should pay their pastor well. To give double honor means not only compensating him well, but, but also respecting and encouraging and listening to and esteeming your pastors and elders to, to uphold them. And he makes this even more explicit. So he says, pay them well, take care of them, honor them well. They're considered worthy of double honor, so even double up on that, especially the ones who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, Paul's not making two classifications of elders. He's just saying the elders that labor week after week after week in preaching and teaching the Word of God, who, who give and devote their lives to that calling, make sure that that's what they devote their lives to. See to it in the way that you take care of them, that they can focus on that for your good. That they can care for you in that way. Doubly honor the pastor that labors for you and as he preaches God's word to you. And we would ask the question, why? What's Paul's reasoning for saying this sort of thing? Paul bases this on scripture. Okay, So it's not just from his own ideas or heart, even though he's speaking from the Holy Spirit. He, he bases this command in Scripture itself, he quotes two passages, one from Moses in Deuteronomy 25.4, and then he quotes Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. The first quotation is from Deuteronomy, from Moses. Moses picks up the metaphor of, of uh, agriculture. Don't muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. You get the picture of, of an ox out in the field, and, he, and he's bringing the, the hoe or the equipment behind him to, to cultivate the field and to, to plow it up. And... and the idea is, let the, let the ox eat. If the grain is there, don't muzzle him and, and take in it all for yourself. Let the, let the one who's doing the work benefit from doing the work. Let him eat. He should have something from his labors in that way. Jesus' words are even more direct. As, as Paul quotes Jesus in Luke chapter 10, Jesus just flat out says, the laborer is due or deserves his wages. The worker should get a paycheck. Paul is telling, here, Tim, telling Timothy here, the pastors in the church should be able to work for the church and labor in preaching and teaching, and the church's responsibility should be to pay them well so that they can work well and focused and hard at that job. Now, I think when you think about this command, it's, it's not that strange or unusual. And, and here's how I'll help you see this. Just replace the vocational title here, and you'll hear how common sense this is. Okay, so let me just swap out pastor or elder and place in some other uh, jobs, some other uh, vocations. So let the doctor who heals well be paid. Anybody going to push against that? No, we would affirm that, of course. Let the teachers who educate well, let them be paid. Absolutely. Let the, let the bankers who care for and invest money, let them be paid well. For sure, let the engineers who design and build well make an income. Yep. 
When you think about the, the, the types of professional human care services that we utilize today, I think it would actually be strange not to consider how to co compensate them. For instance, would you expect to go to a therapist, a counselor, and to talk with them about your problems and needs for 50 minutes and then not pay them? What about if you went and saw a doctor or a physician when you're not feeling well and needed some treatment and they do some examinations and prescribe some sort of medication for their work? You don't just assume it's free. They are paid and they are due that wage. Or if you go to the gym and you get some physical uh, training done and you have a personal trainer work with you or you take an aerobics class or a fitness class, don't you, don't you pay for that? All that to say, would it make sense to receive weekly spiritual direction and the teaching of the scriptures to be prayed for and have access to and sit down with the pastor and to share your burdens and, and needs and not financially give to support his work? That's all scripture is saying here. Support your pastors financially. Now, let me just sound a note of appreciation and gratitude to, go to those who give to the general budget here. I am so thankful. Our family is very, very thankful for the job and, and grateful for the income that, that we receive from your giving to the church. We are content. We are encouraged. We are honored by the financial support of this church so that I can give attention to serving this church and I don't have to go out and find other sources of income to care for my family and to meet our needs together. Thank you. Thank you for the way you supply and meet our needs in that way. It's a, it's a blessing to us. But I also want to encourage the whole church today to consider and ask, are you part of contributing and showing double honor in that way? And here's some, just some stark realities. I don't get a big bonus, I don't get any bonus, or I have a pay raise if this sermon goes well, and you all give a lot, okay? So my motivations are totally clear on this. But I would, I would speak to us as a whole church family, and I would ask, is our ministry worth your support? I received a financial snapshot of our church family from 2022 by our finance committee a couple weeks ago, and here's a couple things that I realized. First of all, our budget as a church family, what, what is given to Woodside Bible Church in Plymouth is given by about 60% of the members or irregular attenders of our congregation. So 60% of our members or regular attenders are giving to the ministry at Woodside Bible Church. 40% of our church family who call this church home, who gather here regularly, part of our ministry, maybe even ministries, uh, members of the ministry, do not give. And I just want to say the ministry is free of charge. My preaching, just as Jesus' grace is a complete gift, so my laboring for you uh, will not require or obligate you to give. But I would encourage you, as a matter of showing double honor, as a matter of obeying the scriptures here, support your pastors financially. Support your pastors financially. Okay, that's guideline number one. How should we relate with our pastors? Support them financially. Guideline number two for relating with our pastors is to respect our pastors, respect your pastors. Now, now Paul here in verses 19 through 21, he, he moves on and he addresses how the church should handle accusations against a pastor. I'll be honest, and you probably know this. I hope you do. I hope it's not out of experience from me towards you, but it might have. Pastors are not perfect. We are sinful humans. We're just like everybody else, and a lot of us are idiots. I mean, it's just, just the way it is. We're not perfect. 
But, but the question should be raised, like, what should the church do when a pastor is accused of something? How should the church handle it? And how should the pastor himself handle those accusations? First of all, let's think about what a church should do when an accusation comes. Look at verse 19. Paul says this, do not admit a charge against an elder. I'll just stop there. Don't admit a charge against an elder. Here's the thing. People can get upset with pastors. I, I've been on the receiving end of that. I mean, I just told 40%, I just told you that 40% of you are not giving. And you might not like that. You might think, oh, he's just a lover of money and he's greedy and he wants a Ferrari. No. <laughs> You, you might want to see me lose my job because you don't like something I said or felt I didn't meet your expectations or who knows what else. Scripture here tells the church, if you've got an issue, don't, and, and, and that's something that's festering in you, don't make accusations against an elder. Don't, and the church shouldn't entertain those accusations against an elder or pastor. Don't let people wreak division and havoc by constantly assaulting the character of a pastor with some of their petty gripes or attempts to take him down by a trumped-up charge. You might say, well, Jeremy, you just said pastors aren't perfect. Like, how do we deal with that? Does that this just mean that a pastor gets off free doing whatever he wants because he's a pastor? That there's, there's no accountability in the church? There's no safety in the church? There's no holding him to a higher standard of character? Well, no, not at all. Let's, let's keep going here. Don't admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, again, this just falls in line with what the rest of Scripture teaches about how we should confront and deal with sin in the body together. And with regard to leadership, there has to be verifiable, validated, credible, accurate, and reliable testimony and a validation of the, sins, the sin in the pastor's life that merits discipline. That is to say, when credible, validated, multi-person attested evidence is presented, then the church has a responsibility to deal with that pastor. So we're not just going to let accusations fly around and just say like, oh, he's a jerk, or he did this to me, or that sort of, or that's his motivations. No, there has to be evidence that's real to that end, evidence of the pastor's sin, evidence of his downfall. And when that credible evidence is there, then what happens? Verse 20, discipline happens. As for those who persist in sin. So maybe you go to the pastor. You say, hey, brother, friend, like this is, you're wrong here. And the pastor won't hear it. And then, and then you do have that credible, validated, authentic, real witness against this and then you go to him again and if he won't repent those who persist in sin scripture says rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear or to say it this way let the church know of their sin and call him to repentance and do it so that everyone may consider their own walk with god let let the church know rebuke them in the presence of all so that the church may stand in fear. The church may say, hey, by his bad example here, we don't want to walk in those sins. By, by his, his walking away from God, we want to uphold the glory of God and the holiness of God. Now, again, why is this process here? Why should we not entertain accusations against an elder or pastor except on the multi-layered evidence of several witnesses? Because this is a matter of showing respect for the pastor as well as protecting him and the church from frivolous accusation 
and petty attempts to denigrate his character. Again, basically, if there's verified, persistent, unrepentant, disqualifying sin, and there's many witnesses to it, publicly call it out. But if not, shut down those that are trying to snipe at the pastor. Some have said that pastoral ministry is a death by a thousand cuts. And I can feel it. I can agree that. But if we follow the scriptures here, we respect pastors. Furthermore, Paul says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, is verse 21, and of the elect angels. So in, in the view of heaven itself, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. No, no, Paul is just saying to Timothy here, as a leader in the church, <laughs> don't play favorites. Because sometimes you're going to find a pastor that you really love and his sin is going to show up and it's something that's going to need to be corrected and rebuked and you're going to go, but he's my favorite pastor. Like, he's so gifted. I just love how he does this. Like, why would we ever want to deal with this? Scripture says, no, deal with that. And you might say, like, I don't really like that guy. He's just weird. He's annoying. Let's get him out of here. No, do nothing from partiality. I've heard about churches where financially rich members of the board or a special interest group in the church had a gripe with the pastor. And they would hold the church hostage with their wealth saying that if they didn't get their way from the pastor, he'd either be fired or they would withhold funds from the church. Just sink the whole thing. No. Show respect to your pastors. Honor them integrity. Uphold them with dignity. Don't slander or gossip or accuse or assemble a posse against your pastor. But if there is real, verifiable, disqualifying sin, deal with it. You have permission to do that. Deal with it in the right way. Give dignity even there. All right, guideline number one, support your pastor financially. Guideline number two, respect your pastor. Third guideline here, select your pastor wisely. Select your pastor wisely. Now, here's where Paul in verses 23 through 25 talks about ordaining or selecting or hiring, if you will, a pastor. He says this at the beginning of verse 22. He says, Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sin of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, when he talks about don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, he's, he's talking about the act of commissioning or ordaining leaders. This was an early church practice where they would, the elders of the church would come and they would lay hands on a designated individual or a group of individuals and commission and send them out to lead in ministry in other places and in other cities. You can look at Acts chapter 13 where Paul himself had hands laid on him and Barnabas as they were commissioned by the elders of the church at Antioch to go as missionaries to plant churches among the Gentiles. This, this laying on of hands is an expression of divine sanction or approval. So when Paul says, don't be quick to lay on hands, don't, don't, don't take part in the sins of others, he is, he's giving a warning about the commissioning and ordaining too soon of the wrong people. The authorization of a church to minister carries with it the participation of the ministry of those they authorized. So if the church lays hands on a pastor and says, you're commissioned and called, the church is part of that man's ministry and work. And if he ministers faithfully, it's a blessing and it's good. If he ministers poorly, if he's a fool, if he, if he sins in deep ways, the church is also stained by that as well. What Paul is saying is that the church should be careful about ordaining either 
one, immature leaders that aren't ready and aren't developed and, and aren't competent and committed, or foolish leaders that just run off in sin. Don't make a guy an elder just because he gives a lot to the church, but he's spiritually immature. Don't hire a pastor because he's clever or popular or young and attractive, and he's going to bring in a big crowd. Be discerning. Be wise is what Scripture is saying here. And the way to exercise that discernment is to go slow. Give it time. Be patient. Pay attention. Look at verses 24 and 25. Paul says the sin of some people, he's still speaking about elders, the sin of some people are conspicuous. That is, it's obvious. You see their life and you go, man, it's just right there in front of us all. We see it. Some sins, though, are, are hidden. They're, they're not there. They appear later. You don't know. This is why he's saying you need time. Time to discern, time to check, time to see the fruit of that man's life and ministry show up. Also, verse 25, the positive. So also good works are conspicuous, they're obvious. You can see sometimes. But sometimes those good works are humble, they're secret. And even Paul says, even those that are not cannot remain hidden. The good works are just going to shine. They're going to come out. Sometimes you can't see a guy's arrogance or his selfishness or laziness right away. Sometimes folks hide sin all the way to judgment. But sin will be revealed. And it's the same with good works. Sometimes you can't always see a person's humility and their faithfulness or their gentleness and patience. But be sure that those good things cannot remain hidden. The fruit of a pastor's life will show up. So don't be quick about making a guy your pastor because he looks good on the outside right away. Exercise discernment and wisdom and patience. Here's these three guidelines. Care for your pastor financially. Respect your pastor. And pick your pastors with discernment. And these are good things. The guy who follows me here, he's going to have a great run. It's going to be a great ministry. Because there's a date coming. Again, I don't know when it is. It's not on my calendar. But there's a date coming where I won't be your pastor any longer. I desire to be here for a lot longer, okay? Hear me well. I don't have any plans to go anywhere. But when that day comes, when I'm not your pastor, I want to help you know how to, as a church, to support and relate to and to select my successor. And here's why. Because I want you to have a pastor who loves Jesus. Because he knows Jesus and all that Jesus has done for him. I want you to have a pastor who is laser focused on exalting Christ and putting the spotlight on Jesus. I want you to grow and flourish as a church in advancing the gospel and making disciples of all nations. I want this church to be a beacon of light to the glory of God in our city in our region, and around the world. And I want to lead this church a more mature, more Christ-like church than it was when I first got here. I love being your pastor. And I'm grateful for the way God has called us here. And if godly pastors are a gift to the church, let's 
Let's see what God will do in the way that we honor him. Church family, I love you, and I'm thankful for you. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.